You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Adoration Leads to Transformation and Proclamation, recorded on Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Hey, it's great to be with you, Harvest Community Church. I am, uh, I'm excited to be here and to bring the word. I hope that you're enjoying the sermon series that we've been gone through uh, here for the last few weeks titled, Not by Bread Alone. Uh, if you remember, in week one, Pastor Mike, he, he taught the necessity of feeding our souls the, the word of God, right? And if you remember, in week two, I had the opportunity to to preach on the fact that the revelation of the Word of God leads to adoration and adoring King Jesus through the written Word. And so if you remember, the point, the main aim of our Bible reading is to be worship. And then last week, Pastor Mike had the opportunity to preach once again, and he was teaching on what the Bible is. Well, This evening, right, I hope to show you that in our time of reading the Bible, that it should have a transformative effect um, that leads us to actually sharing the gospel with those we come in contact with. So with that being said, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 17, and we're going to read through chapter 4, verse 7. So follow along with me in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, if you're sitting here and you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, then you, my friend, are a walking, talking miracle. Because here's the thing, you and I did not respond to the gospel message in faith because all of a sudden we thought it would be a good idea to quit being a rebel and start being compliant and worship Jesus. That's not how it happened. Even if you think that's how it happened, that's not reality. Rather, we placed our faith in Jesus because of God's grace, enabling us to see and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. It was a gift. 
It is a gift to see Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as treasure, as the one who satisfies our soul requires a miracle of sight. It requires a changed heart. And that changed heart happens because the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit must do the impossible work of opening blind eyes and giving spiritual life where there is none. And that causes us to see Jesus as infinitely valuable, as beautiful, through the written word of God or through the preaching of the gospel, because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So you need to know this. As we engage our minds, our hearts in reading the Bible this year, the Spirit and the Bible are of both vital importance. We cannot do one without the other. Remember this in our attempts in reading the Bible this year and for every year until the Lord returns. We need the Spirit. We need the Word of God. Because listen, beholding Jesus in and through our Bible reading leads to becoming more like Jesus in and through our living. See, as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us into Christ's image from one degree to the next. That's what the text says. But this is a process where the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus as more and more wonderful as we read our Bibles. That's what we're praying for. We're asking God to do that work. Yet, we wrongly think at times that the Holy Spirit comes in and he just starts to fix us, right? He starts to fix our bad habits. Now, in one sense, that's true. One sense, that's true. But he does this by causing our hearts to love Christ, to see him for who he truly is. And as we do, we begin to hate sin and we begin to love Jesus. And our adoring Jesus, this profound love through the gospel message, leads us to becoming like Christ, or it should. That should be the normative work of the Holy Spirit as we stumble forward in this thing called grace. We all know that we become what we admire. I mean, you know this to be true. I hope to show you in the text, and I hope you see it in the text, should I say. If you don't, don't believe me. But I hope that you'll see it in the text. And then I hope to give you a real-life example where you know this is true. So look back at 17 and 18 again of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read it once more. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I want you to think, freedom for what? Freedom to, or freedom from what? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the the glory or the beauty of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So get it. The Holy Spirit has been given to all who trust and believe in Jesus for their salvation. We're in Christ. He's in us. And because of this, we have great freedom. Freedom for what? To draw near to the throne of grace in order to be able to see. To see Jesus as glorious, as beautiful. Not only that, but we are free to be transformed. We are free to be changed, right? And and this freedom to behold and to be transformed is not just reserved for a few privileged people who, who think that they're like, you know, holier than others. If you're in Christ, you're holy, Because his blood makes you holy. And that power is available to all who believe. And it all comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, when when we behold or look at God's glory in the Bible, we ought to be transformed. We ought to be transformed. Think back to when you were young. 
right? For some of you, you're like, I am young. For some of you, it's a harder thought. For me, it's becoming much harder. But think back and ask yourself this question. What did you admire or what did you love, right? So I got to thinking about this and I went through some strange stages as a young man. Um, One I remember for sure was Superman, right? I thought for sure I was Superman to the point that I had the the, the Superus, I had the cape, and I remember one time going to a dentist and they left the gas mask on too long and I thought I could fly and I attempted that off some stairs. I'm thankful there were not many of them. I remember uh, not only that, but so Superman, but you got Indiana Jones, Rambo, Rocky, um, my granddad, man, I I wanted to be like my pap. Uh, I even went through some strange stage of thinking I was a gangster rapper from like Compton, which is just stupid, right? But it's, I mean, I'm, I, it's, I mean, I'm talking to ridiculous levels. I'm ashamed to admit that. That's more of a confession, Lord, please forgive me. But take Indiana Jones, for example, right? So I remember my dad taking me to the movie to see Indiana Jones. And when we left, I'm like, this is like the dude of all dudes, right? I needed a hat just like this guy. I needed a satchel. He made satchels cool. Satchels are not cool, I later found out. But I also needed a bullwhip, and I got all of that. Now, thinking back, I probably got some strange hat that my dad gave me and a purse from my mom and probably a rope that I thought was a bullwhip. But I'm telling you right now that as I did that, I mean, I really did think that I was Indiana Jones and I would go out daily and in my own mind, I would save the world from all bad guys because I was always the hero in my story right? I'm sure that some of you have some things. I remember girls, like when I was younger in sixth grade, it's like new kids on the block, like they had pins and stickers and all of this junk. They admired them, right? Now here's the thing. We all absorb what we admire, right? We know that's true. I, I think you would agree that that's normative, and yet that's not always our experience when we read the Bible. And that, I think, is is it's led me to draw this conclusion that there's a way to read the Bible that is not helpful. I'm going to say that again. There's a way to read the Bible that is not helpful. I mean, think about it. The scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the Bible inside and out. But Jesus often would scold them when he would ask them this audacious question. He would say this. He would say, have you never read the scriptures. Now that's hilarious, right? I mean, what a crazy question to ask these guys, because all they ever did was read the scriptures. That's what they were known for. They were scripture experts. And Jesus said, have you never read the scriptures? That would be like asking me if I had never eaten bacon. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Because anybody who knows me knows, of course, I have eaten bacon. Not only have I eaten bacon, but I have had bacon about every way possible. I'm serious. These guys are, to Scripture, what I am to bacon, only more profound. Right? That's what they are. They're the professionals of reading the Bible. And yet, they're failing to read. Listen in John 5. Jesus gives these guys a serious lesson about reading the Bible. And it's one that we all ought to sit up straight and listen to in case we think we can't learn. Because we need to learn. So John 5, 39 through 47 says this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who does accuse you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Man, the experts of reading Scripture, the experts of Scripture knowledge could not read the Scriptures properly. Why? Why not? Verse 44 tells us. I mean, Jesus goes right for the jugular in this verse, and he says they did not love God. Not only that, they did not adore Jesus. They wanted to be adored by people. They wanted worship, right? Remember the rebuke. He said, you worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. In vain you worship me. So there's a way to read the Bible. So here's the warning. Here's the warning to you, to me. If you have a great understanding of and knowledge of the Bible, and it's making you proud, rather than humble towards loving God and towards loving others, then listen, my friend, you don't know jack squat about Jesus or the Bible. I don't care how much you think you know about the Bible. Because as our Bible knowledge grows, our humility should absolutely increase. And that shows itself by how we love other people. So if you think, well, I love God tons, and it's got huge knowledge. Man, I love God. I know him in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the little bit of Aramaic. I love him. But the rest of you people, I can't stand. You don't know the Bible. You don't know God. You're puffed up. And knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that was Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees. Don't let us read the Bible to the point where we become Pharisaical. To where we know the Bible so much, but we can't even love the people that God's placed in our life. That would be a huge mistake. So my question is, are you being transformed? That's my question. Are you being transformed? See, as we behold the glory of God through Bible reading by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. God will change our lives from changing us from the inside out, right? God uses the Bible to make us transform people who love and walk with God, right? That shows itself in how we love one another, and it even goes out to sharing the gospel and seeking the lost with the people who we want to come and see the saving work of Christ. He makes us instruments of his love and his grace, not just nice people who know the Bible. See, no, that's not the case. That's so much what we see, but that's not what we see in Scripture. See, we love what Jesus loves, and we hate what Jesus hates, and this happens with time spent with Jesus in his presence in the Word. Know that. Don't get me wrong. There's a way to change, right? That's not that. It's, you know, by guilt, by force, by pressure, by good old willpower. But none of those things will last. They don't have a real lasting effect on the heart. 
real and lasting transformation can only come from the Holy Spirit as we spend time with Christ in the Bible. And that's why we're reading the Bible, right? To know this God more fully. Why? So that we might be more like him, right? This, this is more than just casual looking at the Bible. See, this means, when it says behold, right? This is talking about meditating on the word of God. It's talking about thinking pondering, asking good questions. You want to be a good Bible reader? Ask good questions and then seek them from the Word. This even means memorizing the Bible. Yep, I said it, memorizing the Bible. So get this, this is one of the most impactful things that God has ever used in my life to make me more like Him. There was a time that I never memorized the Bible. But then Pastor Mike took some time to invest in me personally. And I remember him coming to our house, and, and he was teaching me the Word of God. And then he dropped this bomb on me, and he said, we're going to do some Scripture memory. And I'm like, oh, really? I mean, I was not thrilled about this, because this was terrifying. This is intimidating. you got the lead pastor in your kitchen, and he's telling you to memorize the Bible, and he's going to quiz me on it. I never did this before. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Like on the outside and inside, I'm like scared. But he's like, no, listen, we're going to work together. We're going to seek to memorize the Word of God. And then he starts telling me all the benefits of this. And he's like, listen, you're going to store it in your heart, and it's going to keep you from sin and all these different things. So I start going to work. And he reminds me, by the way, Scott, you can memorize tons of things. I've talked to you. You've quoted movies. You've quoted you know, all these different things. I want you to start memorizing the Bible because it will be good for your soul. And I'm like, all right, Mike, that's good. But I find out later, he just ripped that off from the Bible. He did. Colossians 3.16. By the way, it's good when your pastor rips things off the Bible. I guess he's not technically ripping it off, right? It says this, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell, live in you richly right? Man, that's so good. See, this feeding your brain, the words of God, is thinking it over slowly, like eating a good meal, right? You ever had a good meal? You eat that thing slowly if you're smart, right? You savor every single ounce down to the last bite. Remember, man does not live by bread alone, and meditating on the word of God is like slowly enjoying a fine-cooked meal, right? And so this is what it's like to meditate on the Bible, So as we fill up on the gospel, on the good news, on the Bible, we rely on the Holy Spirit to sink it deep into our heart. He's the only one who can do that. We cannot do that, but we participate. We read, and we can and must be transformed by the glory of Christ, but only if we will carefully behold Jesus as treasure in the Bible by the power of the Spirit. As we do, we'll be transformed to be more like Christ, less like ourselves. And this transformation is a process. It is a process. We are being transformed. Now remember, if you're in Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul would tell us you are a new creation in Christ. But that doesn't mean you've arrived. I mean, I'm looking around. You've not arrived. I've not arrived. Right? There will be a day that we will arrive, but it's not yet. We're still being transformed. All of you this week have sinned. Guaranteed. I have sinned. So that means we've not arrived. And yet, God's work in our lives is a continual process as we stumble forward in God's grace. So this adoration, this deep, profound love of Jesus in the Bible, in our time in the Word, will lead to transformation. It will lead to that. It will lead to growth in love. It will lead to growth in God's grace and mercy and peace and righteousness. 
Because he does that. He promises that. And this is a wonderful thing. But it, but it cannot terminate on just that. It cannot terminate on just that. You and I, we should desire that all our time in the Bible would ultimately serve others, not just ourselves. Ultimately. See, there's a knowledge that puffs up, but true and good Bible reading builds up into love. Love for God that flows out to love for others. Know that. So if you're not growing in your love for the people around you, you're not growing in God's grace. Something's wrong. You need help. You need to pray. You need to get your nose in the Bible. You need to start confessing and asking God for grace to change. He'll give it. He will give it. Remember that our theology or our understanding of this good and glorious God, that informs our worship. You will not worship fully what you do not know. And you cannot know God fully apart from knowing him in his word. And even then, we can't know him fully. But I'm sure trying. And I'm asking God to help me. And as that worship starts to fuel your life, guess what happened? It fuels your mission to have more people know this good and glorious God. You can't help but have that happen. So if it's true that we absorb what we admire, then it's natural to conclude that if we're saturated with the gospel and God's word and empowered by his spirit, then we should be sharing the good news with all that we come in contact with. Everyone, right? That we should be sharing the gospel at some point as we gauge people, as we're praying for them, as we're, as we're caring for them. We should start to share Let's continue. I think you'll see it in the text, right? So I'm going to pick it up in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 4. It says, For what we proclaim, we proclaim, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown it into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ. I love this, right? This is awesome. We are transformed by keeping our eyes on Jesus, fixated on him, and inwardly we are conformed to be more like him. Very practically, outwardly, we become agents of his love with the people that we come in contact with. And know this, the most loving thing that you and I can do for anybody who does not know Jesus is share the gospel with them. It's the most loving thing you can do because their greatest problem, no matter what their problem is, is they are under the wrath of God and they need rescued. And guess what? God has sent you and I as ambassadors to represent King Jesus and to tell them the good news. Hear he, hear he, and share, right, with words. Yes, love them. Yes, do good works. But you're never going to do so many good works that they just skip their way into heaven. I promise you, because faith comes by hearing. And that means we must share. We must share. We must share this good news. Because if we love God most, the most loving thing you can do is love God most. Because when we love God most, that means we will love other people best. That's how we do love. is by filling up on the love of God. So transformation by the power of the Spirit, leads to proclamation of the gospel. It does. When we don't share the life-giving news of Jesus Christ, there's something off. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying there's something wrong. There's something wrong with our love and walk with God. Now, I know this is like, oh, this is a terrifying conversation. I wish we wouldn't have went there tonight. But we're here. We're here, and we're in it. Because here's the deal. If we were to share the life-giving gospel 
We need to love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And as we do, you believe me, it will come out your mouth. It will. Think of a sponge, right? Sponge, if it soaks up water, you wring it out, what comes out? Water. Well, if we're saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ, man, when you bump into me, you're going to hear the good news somehow, some way. Why? Because that's all I want to talk about. Like, we instinctively share what we're excited about. Would you agree? Yeah, you, you would. If you didn't, think through that, and you will. Because we're all evangelists for something. Believe that. I love bacon, right? Back at it. I mean, I really, really love bacon. So much so that I eat it on a regular basis. And, and here's the deal. I tell everybody that I come in contact with how much I love bacon. Now, I know that I've been a successful evangelist when it comes to sharing the news about bacon. How do I know? Because I have gotten all kinds of bacon paraphernalia in my life, right? From, listen, I've gotten, I've gotten bacon chapstick, right? That's gross. Um, I've gotten <laughs> bacon icing. Yeah, I did. I got a bacon mug. I got a bacon t-shirt. I even got bacon soap. I mean, real bacon, soap, like fat, lard, from a pig. And I don't even know what to do with it, right? Like, do I have Jesse washing it and then, like, run around the house? I don't know. But I do know this. As much as I love all that stuff, my real friends know that I just love bacon. I love it thick cut, I love it peppered, and I love it cooked to a perfect temperature, which I know how to do. Now, that's the thing. You know that I've gotten the word out about bacon because I get all these things. But here's the thing. We all share what we're passionate about. We do. And and that's why it's imperative that we be passionate about Jesus and the gospel from the Bible, from reading. And the Apostle Paul got this. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul got this. Paul understood that Jesus and his message were what mattered. And I often wonder, what would it look like if this truth gripped our hearts? That if If you and I were to just share the good news as we think and meditate on the truth of the gospel in our Bible reading, right? That's how we start to share the good news. Not by thinking of different ways to share it. See, that's methodology. But here's the deal. And that's needed and that's good. But here's the deal. If you have your heart set on fire for the good news of Jesus Christ, it's going to come out. It's going to come out, and you're going to think of creative ways to do that, and you should. You should be praying. And please understand that sharing the gospel is a deep and profound act of love. It's the most loving thing you can do. God, help us be that people. Help us to do that. See, we must be this people who are saturated with the truth of the gospel. And as we are, we are shaped and formed to be more like Christ, and we will share it. As we read, we will begin to understand that. We'll begin to understand this gospel narrative more and more. I mean, think about the gospel, right? This good and glorious, gracious, wonderful God creates all things. And he creates man and woman in his image, right? And we're to find all our meaning and love in him. 
and through him. But we sinned against this good God. We sinned and we rebelled against him. We preferred the the creation over the creator. We preferred the gifts that he could give us over the one who gives them. And because of that, you and I and every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth deserve God's eternal wrath. Because he's just. And that's bad news. Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But, but you know. I mean, you know. And if you don't know, you're about to know. Jesus Christ, who is the perfect one. He's fully man. He's fully God. He comes to seek and to save the lost. And he lives a sinless life. He lives a life in our place. And he dies the death that we deserve in our place upon a cross. And because he was sinless, the grave could not hold him. And because of that, he rose from the grave in order to give us a way to enjoy, get it, God. See, God is the good news. We get God. That's the beauty. When? When we repent of our sins. When we are saved from this eternal wrath that God is pouring out because he poured it out on his son and not us. So when we trust and believe in Jesus for our salvation, we go from rebels to sons and daughters. This is the most beautiful news ever. So as we read the Bible, I want want to remind you, remember, only the blood of Jesus Christ is our righteousness. That's it. See, we don't read the Bible in order to receive love. But because we've received this great and profound love, we want to understand the God who loves us like that. And he shows us that in the Bible as he displays his love for all to come and to know. And as we do, we'll be more like him. And as we're more like him, we will tell the world. That's the goal. We want people to know Christ. If if you can hear that message and it does nothing for you in here, I want you to ask God for help. Because you may not know him. You may not know him. If you can hear the gospel message and just be vanilla when it comes out, oh God, ask for help to see. Because that's what you need, that's what I need. We all need that. But if you see, oh, we're servants for Jesus' sake. Do you see it? Look in verse five. We labor in this for the sake of Christ, not our own interest. Not our own interest. Since we serve Jesus, we also serve the church, which is his body. We're in this together. Right? That's good news. I love that. Right? We're messy. I get it. But I love that we link arms and we work together. We spur one another on to good works. We gather together in order to scatter together in order to be servants of all. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We should be no different than our master. Should be no different. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. So, what does that look like? What does it look like to share this life giving news? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 4. Ready? It says, Therefore, therefore, because we're beholding, because we can see, because we're being transformed, therefore, having this ministry, this gospel ministry, this new covenant ministry, by what? The mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So it's the first thing we learn is that this verse is the theme of all of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Paul is saying that we have this ministry by the mercy of God. That's true of Paul. That's true of the church in Corinth. That's true of Harvest Community Church. That's true of you. That's true of me. Paul credits everything to the good and mercy of a gracious God. This ministry was given to Paul in spite of his past, right? Therefore, Paul preached the gospel with humility. 
and boldness. Believe that. This ministry was not due to his awesomeness, but instead by God's mercy. Oh, and that's good news. See, Paul understood that the power of the gospel is the power, not what's in him. Therefore, he could say with confidence, and I hope you and I can say with confidence, that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it. I'll share this good news. You might look like an idiot. I am an idiot. But if you're going to be an idiot, be an idiot for Jesus. Don't be a coward. If you're a coward, ask God to forgive you and change you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Don't stay there. So God, help us. And then he continues. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. See, notice from that verse that, that we're to renounce or reject disgraceful or underhanded ways of sharing the gospel. To refuse to practice with tampering God's word. And from this, we can see that Paul, he shared the gospel honestly. So let's be a people who share the gospel honestly, humbly, honestly. Church, are we sharing the gospel openly and honestly, or are we watering it down in an attempt to conceal it? I mean, it's a real question. I want you to think about it. See, there's such a temptation to do this, to, to, to water it down while sharing the gospel, right? There are many reasons why we would want to. The gospel is offensive to those who have yet to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We all desperately want people to like us. We do. I get it. I'm in that same boat with you. Not only that, but we also want people to come to faith in Christ. And that's a good desire. But that desire can lead us to making a huge mistake of thinking that we can make that happen by taking parts of the gospel out. I mean, no one wants to hear about the bad news. I'm just going to tell them about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The problem is this temptation is not only is it a huge mistake, but we must realize that any change to the gospel makes it not good news at all. It makes it not good news at all. Because if you end up with a different gospel, that means you end up with a different Jesus. And if you end up with a different Jesus, you end up with one who cannot save. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We do not get to redefine him. He defines who he is in his word. The power's in the message. Not in us changing it. There's no power at all. There's no power at all. So we must be a people who love the word. This is why we want to read the Bible. There's many reasons. But, but Paul has renounced this way. And we must do that as well. No matter what pressures come our way. We must get past the fear of man. We must get past wanting the acceptance of others. We must share this message. We must, right? When we don't, it's not, it's not others that we love. It's ourselves. It's our comfort. It, it, it's that we don't want confrontation, so I love that more. God, help us to get past that. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, I want you to listen what that might look like. Because he says, for the word of the cross is folly. It's foolish to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, you will either make your aim to please God by trusting in his perfect, infallible message, the word, or 
you and I will become a la carte Christians who want to change this and that based on how people will receive it or believe it. The Apostle Paul, he preached an honest gospel, a truthful gospel. We must too. We must share the gospel with integrity. We must, and we need help to do that. But he's given us a helper. We have an audience of one. Let's seek to please him, right? And we do that by faith. Here's the thing, though. Not everyone's going to receive this gospel message. Look at verse 3. It says, And even if our gospel, this good news, is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, don't miss this. Do not miss this. If people do not respond to this glorious good news in faith, it's not necessarily the messenger's fault or the message. It's definitely not the message if it's the gospel because you can preach Jesus as beautiful, but if God does not open their hearts to see, they can't see. See, calling them names or belittling them will not help. I know, crazy, right? But, but it won't. We ought to weep. Because you and I would never see if God would not have opened our eyes to see and to believe. He did that miracle. Now, we get this in a physical world. Because none of you, I'm guaranteeing, I'm, I'm, I hope, I mean, ooh, I hope, would not go up to someone like walking down Philadelphia Street who's blind and hopefully he has someone walking him. But anyway, you wouldn't go up to him and say, hey, open your eyes. Oh, you, you, what, you don't want to see? You don't want to believe? Huh? Come on, open your eyes. You want to do that in a physical world, but we can do that when sharing the gospel. Why don't you believe? There's real reasons. There's real reasons, and we see that here. The God of this world's blinding their minds. But here's the thing. That pendulum can go too far because they're not victims. We're not victims. Here's the warning, and we must not make the mistake of making people into innocent victims. Satan is absolutely working to keep people from seeing the beauty of Christ. And yet, we also know what John 3.19 says. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people loved, loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, they are lovers of darkness. Men and women choose to love darkness, not Christ. And yet, we see that Satan is still working hard to keep people from seeing Jesus as glorious through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, Satan works hard to make Jesus look and sound really boring. He does. That's what he does. Who cares about it? It's stupid. You really believe that? I mean, naked man dying on a cross to save you? That's dumb. And he works really hard to make sin look beautiful and enticing. That's what the God of this world, little g, God, does. That's what the text says. He's working them to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. But this is why we must not lose heart. This is why we must keep sharing. This is why we must keep loving. Because it's so tempting to lose heart when we share our lives and the gospel with the people that we love around us, right? I mean, it is. It's very tempting. And I think it's because we wrongly think that the success of the gospel is counted in conversions. When people believe. That's when we've done it right. But we should fight the temptation to be discouraged by results of sharing the gospel. See, our job is to be faithful with the gospel message. To be faithful and share it. Because we present the gospel humbly and honestly and we trust God to save the people. Right? Salvation comes from the Lord, not us. But we're instruments in his hand. What a joy. What a privilege. We do not have the power to make people believe the good news. But we have a part. 
And the part of our lives is serving others and proclaiming the good news as we pray that the Lord would open their eyes. And the Apostle Paul, listen, in telling King Agrippa about his conversion and his call to ministry, he tells of a great encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And listen to what he says in Acts 26, 15 through 18. He says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified in faith, by faith in me. This is Paul's call to ministry. Now church, we must get this because we are the people who are the ones to bring this gospel message to the people who are perishing. It's It's our privilege. It's our job. It's our joy. And we desperately need to see the truth and the beauty of this gospel and share it. See, Jesus sends you and I out to open the eyes of the blind through the proclamation of the gospel. And we'll see it once again. Look at verse 6 and 7. Again, for God who said, he's going back to creation. He said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, oh, we have this, this treasure, this gospel message, this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I mean, I love this, right? Because this should encourage us. God in all his infinite power, knowledge, and wisdom uses clay pots like us, to show that it's not the clay pots that are awesome. It's the treasure that's in them. The Holy Spirit, the good news of the gospel, that's the treasure we share. God does the saving. Do you see weak clay pots? Proclaim the gospel. And he does the work. God has to do the miracle of having light, the light of the gospel of truth, shine in the dark hearts for the people to see. And when they do, they'll fling themselves upon Jesus because they'll see him for who he truly is, as glorious and as beautiful. And that happens through the proclamation of the gospel. So God says to their blind, dark, dead hearts, let there be light. And when he, it comes in and they're like, you're, you're beautiful. I mean, this is what happens if you've experienced, you might not have experienced it because you might not be saved, or you might not remember it because you might have been saved as a very young, young person. But at 22, when I was saved, Jesus went from nothing to me to glorious to me. I didn't do that. He did that through the proclamation of the gospel. And when that light comes in, we will see Jesus as the one who forgives sins. We will see Jesus as the one who has made a way for us to have life with God forever. We will see Jesus as beautiful, as the Savior, as Lord, as a precious treasure, the one who satisfies our soul. I mean, do you get it? This is why we read the Bible. Because as we do, Jesus will reveal 
more of himself. And as he does, we will adore him. We will love him. And as we adore him, this will lead to transformation, to be more and more like him. And that transformation will actually lead to proclamation, to sharing the good news. Because proclamation, listen, leads to revelation. That's why we share, so that they can see, because we've seen, which then leads sinners from being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. And get this, that ultimately leads to the adoration and worship of King Jesus, which lasts forever. That's why we're reading the Bible. Not so that we can just do a religious thing and check it off. Get to know your God. Be like him. Share his message. Let's do this. God help us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.